It's so good to be together with each one of you this morning as we look to God's Word. I want to begin with reading the scripture this morning found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that you would speak over the next few moments, challenge us, stir us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Kirsten, my lovely wife, is so amazing at many, many things. However, being the lead driver in a caravan is not one of them. She is not great at that. Now, let me explain what I mean. Uh, A few years ago, we were visiting some friends in their new house. We were in Michigan, and some friends moved into a new place, and um, we were going to their house to visit, and we were taking some things to them, and we needed both vehicles, both of our vehicles, to, to bring everything to them. And I had never been to their house, and I didn't know the address. Kirsten did know the address, so I said, hey, would you send me the address so I know where we're going? And her response was, you're following me, you'll be fine. Some of you know that I was very uncomfortable with this, but I followed her, trusting that she was going to look out for me. But what followed was really kind of incredible. She began driving like she was trying to shake me. (laughs) It was like I was stalking her and she wanted to be rid of me and she was driving, weaving through traffic, making last minute turns with no signal. She displayed some of the best evasive driving I've ever seen. It was amazing and not too long into the drive, she did lose me. And because I had no clue where I was going and I didn't know the address, I was lost. So I called her, very happy, and I was very frustrated. I called her, but guess what? Her phone was dead. So I was stranded on the side of the road wondering what in the world am I going to do Luckily, I called my friends and said, hey, can you send me your address? And they were like, yeah, Kirsten has it. And I was like, yep, I know. (laughs) Um, So they sent me their address, and eventually I did make it. I made it to their house, and I'm happy to say Kirsten and I worked through that trauma as a couple. I think we may actually be better off today because of it. I don't know. But I, I often think of that moment when somebody says, follow me. I often think of that moment when, when somebody is following me on the road and I, I want to make sure that they are able to keep up with me. 
I often think of this moment when I'm writing a sermon and I use a phrase like, live the mission. I, I often think of this moment when I'm, I'm, I'm writing and I, I know what I want to say and I, and I say this little phrase that, that, that I believe is clear and I want to stop and think, is this actually clear? Do they actually understand what I'm, I'm saying so we do this in church a lot where we use language that we understand, right? Those of us who have been to church for a long time, we understand what we're saying, what we mean, but those who, who haven't been around very long, those who are new, not just to the church as a whole, but maybe even to our local church, they, they might not understand what we mean. They might be lost. It might be confusing. It might sound like we're speaking in code, it's like the, the man who went to a church for the first time and he noticed every now and then the preacher would just say a number and everybody in the room would laugh. And he was so confused what was happening. And this happened three or four times during the, the sermon. And after the sermon, he, he asked somebody, someone came up to him and was like, hey, it was so good to have you this morning. What did you think of our service? And he was like, it was really good, but one thing was confusing. And they said, what? And he said, every now and then the pastor would say a number and everybody would laugh. And I don't know what that meant. And they're like, oh, okay. So we've been around long enough that, that we know all of his jokes and so we have assigned his jokes a number, and instead of wasting precious time in the sermon explaining the whole joke, he just says a number, and we know what he means. Sometimes that's how we act in the church, right? We assume that everybody understands what we mean. We say a number and assume that everybody's going to know exactly what we mean. We speak in code, we tell people to do things that we just assume they know what that means. We assume they know how to do that, how to live that way. And we in the church need to learn to slow down, take a moment, and walk with people. Walk with them, making sure that they understand exactly what we mean and how to do these things that have become second nature to those of us who have been following Jesus for years and years. So this fall, this fall, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to go on a journey together looking at the mission of not just our church, but the church and what that looks like and how to live the mission we're going to walk together in this process of learning together how to live this mission. Some of us, this is going to be a refresher. Some of us, this is going to be brand new. But together, we are going to go through this journey on how to live the mission. This morning, as we begin this journey, we're, we're going to see three things that will serve as our launching point into this mission. First, we're going to see God's mission, then we're going to see Jesus' method, and then we'll see, finally, our mandate, what is commanded of us. First, let's look at God's mission. To understand God's mission, we have to, we have to go back a bit just to get some, some clarity, some context for what we mean by God's mission. And by back a bit, I mean to the beginning. 
In the first two chapters of the Bible, we see repeatedly God say, or say that God creates and then declares it was good. God created everything as he wanted. He created everything as he desired. He created all of this perfectly. And then in Genesis 3, there's a crucial moment in history where Adam and Eve, the two people that God created, they are faced with a decision to obey God or to disobey God and go against the one command that he gave them, which was to not eat of this one tree. They could eat of every other tree but this one tree, and they had this choice. Spoiler, they did it. They ate that tree. They ate that fruit. They ate the forbidden fruit. And with this one act, sin, death, and corruption all flooded into the earth, and God's perfect creation was marred and forever changed. At this point in time, they couldn't see what had become of God's creation. They didn't understand fully what this meant. They just knew that they felt different. They just knew that they were different. They just knew that in this moment, something was a little unusual. For the first time, they had felt shame and fear. And even though they didn't understand what exactly this meant, God did. Even though they were unaware of the destruction they brought into the world, God was very aware. He knew that because of this rebellion, sickness, and death was going to come into the world, that he knew that because of this rebellion, evil and suffering would ravage this creation. He knew that because of this rebellion, addiction would grip so many people that he created. He knew that because of this rebellion, the people who he created to live in perfect union with him would now experience sadness and loneliness. They would experience separation from him that some of the people that he created to live forever with him would now live in a place called hell. While Adam and Eve didn't really know what this one act would do, God did. So what so what would God do? What should God do with his once perfect but now broken creation. He could, he could have scrapped the whole experiment and started over. He could, have just, he could have just wiped Adam and Eve out and created two new people and began again. That's probably what I would have done, just start over. But that's not what he did. After the rebellion of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, God shows up in the garden and, and, and we see something remarkable. God himself in Genesis 3 preaches the first gospel message in the Bible. He, di- he dishes out some, uh, some punishments, some consequences to their actions, and then he makes this statement in Genesis 3, verse 15. He says, and I will put enmity between you, talking to the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Here we see the mission of God to undo 
what the fall did. That is, the the mission of God was to undo what Adam and Eve did in their rebellion. And then you fast forward a little while in time, and God comes in the form of a man named Jesus who declares clearly that his purpose was to fulfill this mission. And he clarifies exactly what this mission is. He says in Luke that that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And this is how John, the beloved disciple, talked about the mission of God in John chapter 1 that we read earlier. He said that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, the the, the God who spoke the world into existence and watched this creation rebel against him willingly took the punishment for that rebellion on himself, on the cross, and it is through this act that we are given the right to become sons and daughters of God. It is through this act that we can know God. It is through this act that we can have the help to change. This is his mission to undo what Adam and Eve did, to restore what was destroyed. The mission of God is the rescue and redemption of his creation. And so we can move from the mission of God to the method through which he planned to achieve this mission. In John 1, which we read earlier, the, the, John the, the beloved says that, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Remember at the beginning uh, of this passage in John 1 that we read, you know, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This Word who is God, as John says, became flesh. God God himself took on a human fleshly body to be one of us, as he says, to make his dwelling among us to live among us, to be with us. I I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this in the message. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, the like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. The first part of the method of Jesus was that he came to us. He moved in and lived among us as one of us to show us a better way. While he was with us, he he met needs, he healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he loved the unlovable, he welcomed the outcast, he he went to the hurting and he showed them love and hope and grace and gave peace. He came to be with us. 
to share the burden of our hurts and to offer hope in our hopelessness. He, he came to ultimately do what we ourselves could not do. The first part of Jesus' method was to come to us and live with us. And then the second part of Jesus' method was to invite those around him into a relationship. He came and he lived among us and then invited us into a relationship with him. There's one word that we hear repeated often from Jesus. It's the word come. Come and see. Come and find rest. Come and drink. Come and dine. Come onto the water, into the unknown. Jesus invited those around him to come and experience himself, to experience the Father, to taste and see that the Lord is good. He invited those to come and experience. And then once we had experienced who he is, he extended another invitation the second invitation was into a deeper relationship. The word was still come, but it was come and follow me. Come and take up your cross. So there are two invitations. The first to experience, the second to change. Often after Jesus met a need or performed a miracle for someone, he followed it up with a call to change. He would say something like, go and sin no more. You've experienced, now it's time to change. See, this was Jesus' method. He came to humanity and invited us into a relationship, but uh, both to experience him and then to change our lives. And as I said before, this, this invitation, this ability, this opportunity to be able to change is only because of his work on the cross. He could invite people into himself to change their lives because he knew that he was going to a cross. And that upon that cross, he would take the weight of our sin, that he would take the consequences of our sin, that he would take the punishment of our sin, that he would do all that is necessary so that we could change, so that we could know him, that we could live with him. And we see through one act of rebellion, death entered the world. But through one act of obedience, life was given. And we see that through one act of rebellion, sin, it began to cause people pain and suffering. It began to destroy people's lives. But through one act of obedience, forgiveness of sin and restoration is offered The work of Jesus began to undo the work of Adam and Eve. The mission of God is to restore and redeem his creation. The method of Jesus was to come and live with us and invite us into relationship with him. And so what are we as God's people supposed to do? 
What are we called to in response to what Christ has done for us? After the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he gives one final charge that nobody in this room is going to be surprised to hear me say in Matthew 28. He says, he says to his people, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And in this Great commission, we see both parts of Jesus' method. Go, live among them, be with them, go to them, and then make disciples, invite them into a relationship. Go to them and invite them into a relationship. Be with them, live with them, live among them, meet their needs, help them speak into their lives, and then make disciples. Invite them into a relationship, not just with you, but with God. And several years after Jesus commissioned his followers, one of the men who was with him, the Apostle Peter, unpacks this idea a little more and talks about this as not just leaving home and going into a distant country to, to go and make disciples, but he unpacks what it looks like to go and make disciples at home, right where you live. He says, as we read earlier in, in 1 Peter, that you were placed where you are for a purpose. You were, were placed by God where you are, and this is how you live this mission. We see our mandate clarified here a little bit in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This explanation from Peter on how to live out the mandate from Jesus to go and make disciples in this new world as exiles is to live such good lives that they see your good deeds and glorify God. That you live in such a way that people see how good God is. Notice that it says they glorify God and not brag on you. This is not about you getting commendation from the people around you, but God receiving glory because of who he is. Our mandate is to go and invite others into a relationship. And we do this simply by living such good lives around those that they see how good God is. And I, I don't mean that we simply live moral lives. That is not what I mean by this. I mean that we live so passionately in love with Jesus, that we live so obsessed and consumed with the gospel that because of his work, I get to know him and I get to live with him forever, that we are so consumed by this that it begins to just ooze out of every part of our lives. That we are so obsessed with the gospel that it just pours from us. 
That is what I mean by live such good lives. Not that we are just moral people that we do what we believe is right. But that we live so obsessed with the fact that Jesus came to live with us and die on a cross for us so that I could be with him. That it changes everything in my life. That's what this means to live such good lives. So this morning, I I leave you with one question. Have you accepted these two invitations to experience and to follow Jesus? And this follow Jesus does mean change. Have you accepted these two invitations? So the first step as we live the mission is to begin to accept these invitations, to experience and to follow Jesus. And for us to accept these invitations, we have to first acknowledge that we are a part of this broken world And that because we are a part of this broken world, there is a separation between us and God, but that we know that Jesus came to earth and died on a cross to remove that separation, remove that thing that separates us from God, which is called sin, so that we can know him and live with him. We respond to these invitations by praying something like this, God, I know that I am a part of this broken world. I cannot fix myself. I know that you came to rescue and redeem me. You came to live among me to live near me and invite me into a relationship with you. And I want to be in that relationship with you. I accept this invitation and I will follow you. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from that unrighteousness and change me so that I can follow you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning or the first time and meant it, or if you simply just want to talk about what this looks like, I'll be down here in the front after the service. I would love to talk with you about what this looks like, and so would the the elders. You can look for someone with a red lanyard. We would love to talk with you about this. But it is from this decision And through the Holy Spirit that we live such good lives that people see our good deeds and glorify God. It is from the gospel that we live this way, that because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we can know God and live a life with him.
It is from that that we live such good lives that people see our good deeds and glorify God. And it is through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we are continually being formed into the image of Christ, that we are daily being changed to look more and more like Him. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, we will continue to fail miserably. It is only through him that we can live in such a way that people see our good deeds and glorify God. This is what it means to live the mission. That we are intentional about where we are and how we live our lives. That we don't simply live moral lives, but that we live so in love with Jesus, so consumed with the reality that he died for me so that he could rescue and redeem me so that in my life he could undo the work of Adam and Eve at the beginning, that he could undo the destruction that came in with sin, that he could undo that, and now I can live with God forever. That is what it means to live the mission, that we are so obsessed with him that it changes everything about us. Is that what your life looks like? Is that what your life looks like? Are you obsessed with him and what he has done for you? Are you obsessed with what he has done for you? Are you consumed with what he has done for you and what he continues to do for you and in you and through you? That is what it means to live the mission. Will you live this mission? Will you respond to these invitations to come and experience and then to change? As we do that, as we do that, as a church, as individuals, but as a collective body of believers, God will use this place, this people, to fulfill his mission to rescue and redeem. Will you join me in living this mission? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your help. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the gospel reality that you have come to undo what Adam and Eve did. That I can know you and live with you. God, I pray that we would be so consumed with this truth, 
we would be so consumed with this reality, God, that we would love you deeply. That we would pursue you passionately. That we would live the mission. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.